Amen. Been coming here for a few years and uh, just uh, love this church and worship was awesome. Did you guys enjoy worship? I got completely caught up. That was amazing. Thank you guys. Thank you, worship team. Um, I love the revelation of communion that you guys have here. I just love it. Um, I appreciate that. You, you, you guys made a deposit of that in me a few years ago at your house and um, I took it back home. And so we're you know, it's it's just an important thing to focus on. It's not a ritual. It is, uh, it's super powerful. So I appreciate that. You as a church carry that. How many of we learn from each other? Amen. I mean, we do. I mean, you know, we, if you ever get to a point where you, where you, you're, how many you know there are no experts on God? Can I get an amen? No experts on God. Amen. Like we're all learning, right? And uh, how many know there's nobody in this room any better than anybody else? Can I get an amen? Uh, and we can all learn from each other. You know, iron sharpens iron. You, everybody in here, I'm, you, have, you probably have a revelation of the Lord um, that I don't have, and I can learn from you, and you can learn from me. Amen? It's the body of Christ. Amen? How many know our physical body works together? And um, we as the body of Christ do the same. And so I, I appreciate that about this church, that there, there, that deposit was made into my heart, and uh, it's wonderful. Um, <clears throat> did your pastor tell you about the conference that he's preaching in? Oh, good job. High five. That's, that's, where, the, that's where the E comes from. That's the excellent right there. Um, we just want to invite you guys. We're doing a big grace conference um, where it's always warm. Amen. I mean, you know, it's nice if you're going to do a conference, do it where it's warm and the sun shines, right? Amen. We all, we share the same weather patterns, Ohio and Kentucky. We're, you know, we share that. But you guys are technically Yankees, though, aren't you? Aren't you guys Yankees? Yeah, that's cool. It, it's like the separation point. We're, we consider ourselves Southerners. But as soon as you cross that, it, the, what is it, the Dixon, Mason, Dixon, something, something? Yeah, you guys are Yankees. My wife's a Yankee. It's okay. I mean, she's from Pennsylvania, so I'm not anti-Yankee or anything, you know. Um, you guys just have better grammar and, you know, yeah, hey man, it's true, it's okay, it's all right. We make up words in the South, you know what I'm saying? We, we massacre the English language. We, I, have a, I have an associate pastor that uh, when he first started to preach for us, he, he's from the hills of eastern Kentucky, like he's from the Appalachia, you know, and uh, he almost needed an interpreter for people to understand what he was saying. That's how country this guy is. He say fight and night and you know, and uh, y- y'all probably know what that is. I said fight and night. That's what I just said. If you're curious, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, we massacre the English language. But it's all good. Jesus still loves us, and we're part of your family. Amen. Amen. Anyway, so we're having a grace conference in Myrtle Beach. And uh, it's a beautiful area, and uh, if you guys want to come to that, we would love to have you guys come out. We've got tons of uh, speakers that are going to be there. Your pastor is going to be one of the speakers. We've got people from all over the nation. Um, it starts June 11th and runs through the 14th, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, uh, and then some of us are going to have some fellowship afterwards. And you may be sitting here, well, I don't know how I would afford that. How am I going to afford that, Jeremiah? Ask God. Just ask God got so quiet when I said that. I mean, you know, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and I mean, he gives you the desires of your heart. Ask him. Just ask him, you know. How many of y'all think God can do a financial miracle and hook you up with a vacation and bless you and fill your spirit at the same time? Can I get an amen? Yeah, why not, right? Just ask him, 
And uh, this is a conference that we want, we, you know, I met some folks down there and it was a great church and we want to do this conference yearly and uh, just give people, because the teaching is going to be great, everything's going to be good, but you know what's going to be awesome is the fellowship, man, just spending time with each other and stuff. So that's one of the beautiful things about grace is it allows fellowship to be sweet. How many know there, none of us are in competition with each other in here? Amen. How many know there, there's no people in here are, who are perfect in conduct? Right? Everybody here makes mistakes. Amen. How many know everybody here needs Jesus? So we can relax and we can be ourselves. We don't have to put on a show. We're not trying to be better than anybody else. We're just a part of the same family and we're loved. Amen. Um, so just want to invite you to that. Uh, you can go to jjm.life and go to events and you can see all the information on that um, if you would like to check that out. So I feel really led to do something very different today. And uh, God's smarter than I am, so I'm going to do what God tells me to do. Um, I uh, got, let's see, four different books up here. And um, I normally would have a, thank you, normally would have a book table, you know, and stuff like that, because that's what you do when you're a speaker. You have a book table and you have resources and all that type of stuff. But <clears throat> today I, I feel like doing something different. So um, I want you to stand up, pretty please, and I want you, if you, you're, according to who's in the same household together, if you're all in the same house, in the same household, put your arms around each other, and scoot in tight, it's so sweet, I love it, I know, some of y'all resisting this, I see some of you like, oh man, I don't know, all right, so these are the house households, right? Now, everybody in the household gets a free book. One free book per household. Um, so that's just what God led me to do. And so um, pick a representative from your household to come get a book. I'll give you a quick overview on what these books are. Um, this is a book-loving church. You have a book-loving pastor. His love of truth is pretty, it's, it's inspiring. This first book I wrote, it's a book about getting set free from condemnation. How I many know oh, condemnation is from the devil? And it's a lie. No such thing as condemnation, actually. Uh, not for the believer. Uh, this, and so this is a book talking about condemnation. This is a book about my testimony, getting safe, set free from drug addiction and alcoholism, and getting set free from legalism. <clears throat> this is a book that just kind of exposes why religion rejects grace. And it doesn't do it for the purpose of throwing them under the bus. It actually does the purpose for giving compassion towards them and loving them and recognizing that they're not the enemy. How many of you don't have a flesh and blood enemy in the earth? No person's your enemy. No political party's your enemy. A person is not your enemy. The devil's your enemy. Can I get an amen? Okay. And then, um, and so, and then also I'll share some personal experiences because I got really messed up in legalism and religion. Probably more messed up than I got in drug addiction and alcoholism. For real, because it looks it, it looks like it's awesome and it looks amazing, but inwardly it's full of dead men's bones. Anyway, this is the most recent book that I wrote, His Love to Us and Through Us, talking about how many know God loves you? Y'all know that here, don't you? You're well taught. I know that. But how many know that love has a course that it wants to travel? It's a river. It wants to flow to you and then through you. And if it doesn't flow through you, uh, we can stagnate. And um, that's one of the thing, the, one of the reasons that God laid on my heart to write this book is I think as a, as a grace people, as a new covenant people, we've been learning how to receive love. 
But it's equally important to let it flow through you. Because how many know anything that, that stays still ultimately stagnates? And if we don't allow it to see, we're so scared of legalism and dead works. That we, well, I'm not in works. I'm not doing nothing. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to get in legalism. I'm not gonna and then what can happen as a result of that, we can overcorrect. And then we got this beautiful reservoir of love on the inside of us that really needs to be expressed to our families, to our communities. But because of our fear of getting back into dead works and legalism, we let that love stay stagnant when it's not supposed to be a stinky pond, but a mighty rushing river. Amen? And, uh, and there's a season where you have to just stop and let your cup be filled up. But there comes a point when it needs to overflow. Because the best days of your life is when you're being loved and you're loving. So anyway, so that's it. So representatives, come snag a book. Yeah. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. I just really felt like being a blessing today and just giving. You're welcome. I'm I'm honored to to share, to be a blessing. Thanks, Jeremiah. Oh wow. Yes, Lord. <laughs> you're welcome, Lord. I'm honored. I'm just kidding. <laughs> The sound man. Sound man has, yeah, he, he has spoken, right? You're welcome. You're welcome. Where's, where's John Whitehouse? Where's he at? Okay, you, you get one of these regardless. You take it back to him? Okay. Yeah, John actually did the first edit on that book. And uh, just thankful for his help. Yeah. Thank God for the body of Christ. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. We all need each other, amen? If I wrote that book with no editor, no one would be able to understand it, but Hicks from Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome, you're welcome, you're welcome. Yeah, and keep snagging because there's more. If we run out of this one, we got more over here. I just didn't fish them all out of the bag. Yeah, there's there's plenty. So you're welcome. All right, cool. Everybody get one that needed one? Yes, please. Wonderful. Amen. So <clears throat> the 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 primary difference well let me let me just pray. Lord, I just I thank you for these wonderful people. And I'm honored to stand before them. And Lord, I just ask you to love them through me right now. Let me care about them. Let me care about their families, their future. I ask you to give me your love for them so that when I'm speaking, it's not just words of knowledge, Lord, but these are words that are filled with love. I ask you for you to give me your heart for them because you know them and you love them more than anyone's ever loved them and I ask you to let me be an extension of that love this morning and Spirit of God we acknowledge you as the teacher you're the teacher and Lord we just thank you let Jesus be revealed today we've not come here to see a man we've not come here to even specifically go to a church we've come here to see Jesus show us Jesus today Lord we thank you for that in Jesus' name Amen um the, you know, one of the things I love about this church <clears throat> is I don't have to come in here and endeavor to lay a foundation 
or endeavor to correct a foundation because um, you have a good and solid foundation. So I get the I get the privilege of coming in here and and building on the solid foundation that's already here. I don't always get to do that in all churches, and so. Uh, this church, it's it's kind of a there's a freedom, there's a, it's a breath of fresh air, and it's a blessing, and it's fun for me to do that. And so, um, there, and but I will give just a, a little bit of of overview in order to bring us all on the same page. How many know that there there's an old covenant and then there's a new covenant, right? And um, <clears throat> we have a Bible uh, that has the Old Testament and the New Testament. We have the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And how many know this entire thing is inspired by God? Whole thing. And um, however, um, there is a, there's a, that old covenant, you're not under it anymore. And it's really important to understand that because if you don't understand that, if you try to approach God from an old covenant perspective, it's like going to a vacant building where nobody lives except the enemy. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Well, how I many know oh, you've been invited to a to a new mountain, Mount Zion? <clears throat> I mean, on Mount Sinai, uh, it's no longer a part of what God has for you, right? And uh, how many of the old covenant operated primarily in the concept of disqualification and demand? <clears throat> how many know oh, the old covenant, the law, it disqualified everybody? I mean, that's what it did. That was the purpose of it. And it was a good thing because man needed... How I many you know sometimes you got to recognize you have a problem before it can be fixed? Amen? It was the mirror that shined the reality of your sin and failure to you. We need that. That's a good thing to have. You know, me, I was a drug addict. I was an alcoholic. I was an atheist. I was a lying, cheating, horrible human being. And I was caught up in intellectual arrogance in the sense that I did not think I needed a savior. I didn't need morality because truth was relative. And in my mind, uh, it was just a strong survived. I mean, I needed the mirror of the law to shine to me and show me, you, sir, um, don't measure up. And I needed the law to be my schoolmaster to bring me to Jesus who actually would save me. How many know the law doesn't save you? How many know the pointed finger doesn't help you? The helping hand is what helps you. But the pointed finger lets you know, hey, you're drowning. Let me show you the man who can save you, Jesus. And so the old covenant was healthy and good and positive and served a purpose and reflected to man their need for a savior. And ultimately, it disqualified everybody. How many know no person except one, under the old covenant was able to keep it. Nobody. Everybody failed. All fell short of the glory of God. Can I get an amen? But then there was this, then God came down, born of a virgin, perfect, spotless God blood pumped in his veins, untainted by the fall of man. He was born in Bethlehem. And he lived 33 and a half years on this planet as God, as man, perfect, righteous, holy, the Lamb of God. Never sinned in thought, action, or deed. Stood to the old covenant on the hill of Golgotha and said, I kept this one, 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 this one. I have fulfilled the law. Now... 
I will die as a sacrifice for everyone who couldn't do it. I will become the Lamb of God. We'll take these handwriting of ordinances. We'll nail them to the cross, which was against man, which was man's disqualifier. And now we lift up the cup of this new covenant based on the blood of the Lamb and not the efforts of man. See, under this new covenant, it's not about your, my strength or your strength. It's not about our efforts. It's, not about, it's actually not about us at all. It's about Jesus. And it's about Him and it's about His strength. And so um, when He lifted up that cup, and now he, he has a new covenant. The old covenant has passed away. The new covenant has come. Now, a, a big part of the confusion in the body of Christ is... We've had one foot in the Old Covenant and one foot in the New Covenant. And it's caused us to live in a state of confusion. And it's, and it's, it's hindered our ability to have relationship with God because we're trying to meet with God in a place that God is not. What are you talking about? How many know earlier I was talking about meeting in an empty building? See, the only person that's under the Old Covenant is the accuser. I mean, the enemy likes the law because he uses it to accuse people with and to bring in a sense of condemnation. It doesn't mean the law is evil. The law is good. But once you have recognized you have need of a Savior, how many know a baby, how many know an umbilical cord is very important for a baby? Our associate pastor, they just, him and his wife just had a baby while we were out of town. And that umbilical cord is extremely important for a season. But I have a 14-year-old son right now. How many know if my 14-year-old son was still being fed through the umbilical cord? That'd be weird. <laughs> and it would be awkward and it wouldn't be successful. Because the umbilical cord had a purpose, but once its purpose was finished, it was severed, and then he moved on to feed in a different way. Right? See, and just like an umbilical cord, the law is there for a season. But then when that season is finished, you've got to be severed. You are no longer going to be fed by the law. You're going to be fed by Jesus. And so, um, and what the law does is um, it, it, it demands... It disqualifies. Oh, yeah, thank you. Um, and um, that's, that's the purpose of it. So the body of Christ has spent time with one foot in the old, one foot in the new. Now, and I give this example a lot, but I love to give visuals because I like to make things really simple. If I'm trying to walk across the floor and I got one foot here and one foot here, how many know this is going to be difficult for me to walk, right? <laughs> because I got my foot in two different places on two different foundations, and it's difficult for me, me to move forward. The vast majority of Christianity spends their life doing this. Is God mad at me? Does God love me? Am I forgiven? Am I not forgiven? Am I blessed? Am I cursed? And it causes them to be very self-focused, self-consumed. Okay? And God's intention is that your Christianity and your walk with God would not be focused on you. I mean, if I was standing before you right now and I was self-conscious, it would be difficult for me to be confident. I mean, oh, God doesn't want you to be self-conscious. And that's why, I pray, that's why I pray for love in the beginning, because I, don't want to, I do not want to be conscious of myself at all while I'm up here. I want to be conscious of God, I want to be conscious of you. And endeavoring to be a conduit that that love flows through this so that you can have an encounter with God, not a performance from man. And so God wants to set you free, us free, of this horrible plight of humanity of self-consciousness. Focus on self. I mean, legalism focuses you on you. This is where you're not good enough. This is where you're falling short. 
This is where you can't. This is why you're not healed. This is why you're not prospered. This is why you're not blessed. Eight reasons on why you are not. Amen. Fifteen reasons on what you should be doing. And it's in, and what ends up happening is church becomes a self-help class rather than a place where the gospel is preached and the good news of a Savior comes. See, your Christianity is not a ladder you climb in order to get blessed. Okay? It's not. Your Savior came down where you're at and extended a helping hand to save you. Okay? You don't qualify for salvation. Okay? A Savior, He saves you. He rescues you. What qualifies me for salvation? My failure. My weakness. My inability. And so, how many know that salvation, in the Greek word soteria, it means way more than just having your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It means way more than just being born again. Although that is the greatest miracle. Hands down. But God wants to save you on a regular basis. God wants to provide salvation for... How many of y'all need some help? If you'll notice, we're like lambs. <laughs> we're kind of helpless. <laughs> you know, We make mistakes. How many know we need a shepherd? We need a savior. And so what God does in the new covenant is he removes all disqualification from you so that you can freely receive what's been given through Jesus Christ. Amen. And, and But what, what happens a lot of times is we go back into the realm of disqualifying ourselves from receiving. How do we do that? We get focused on ourselves again. Like, if I can, if like, it's so important, the primary difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant is this. Old Covenant demands and disqualifies. That's not your covenant. New Covenant qualifies you to be saved and then supplies you. Everybody say supply. Supplies you with more than enough for everything you need in this life. There is an inexhaustible supply of grace towards you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. God doesn't give you a dropper of grace. Okay, here's enough grace so you can take so you can handle today. Oh, thank you, Lord. Little drop. He doesn't do that. See, how many other Bible says that they which receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, you need too much grace. Really, you need too much. You need so much that it's it's slipping out of your mouth and it's flowing out of your hair and it's coming down your face and your eyebrows and you're flinging some grace over to your unworthy neighbor. Can I get an amen? You're flinging some grace over while you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off and you are so soaked in the grace of God and you're experiencing such a tremendous supply that it's just flowing out of your life and you become a grace fountain. Not a transaction accountant. Not a transgression accountant. See, you're not called to keep track of your transgressions to determine whether you qualify or disqualify for God's provision. The paper's been ripped up. Your account's been paid in full. Do you understand that? All your sin has been paid in full. 
past, present, and future. You receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are stamped eternally righteous. And you have to understand something. He didn't just barely pay off your sin. He wasn't like, dang, man, this brother Jeremiah, he got so much sin. We try to make payments on this thing, man. We like, oh, gosh, man, we almost got this thing paid off, Father. This guy sins so much. I mean, man, the, the, the lights in heaven are flickering. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, we struggling. I mean, we could feel like that. And the message can be presented from the pulpit like that to leave you in a state of nervousness and fear on whether you're actually forgiven or not. You have to understand something. One drop of the blood of Jesus will pay for the sin of a billion planets. Like if there was a billion civilizations all over the universe, one drop of the blood of Jesus would be an overpayment for all the sin of all those people. Your sin wasn't just barely paid. It was overpaid. And I love this. I've heard this example used a million times, but I think it helps us understand this. Anybody ever owed somebody money before? Hallelujah. Not fun, right? How many know if you owe somebody money and you're having a struggle, you're having a hard time uh, paying them? How many know you ain't trying to see them out? Oh, I feel like some people owe some people money in the church. Hallelujah. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry, sorry. Let's laugh nervously and move along. I believe he's a prophet. He's got a word. He's supposed to pay that debt. No, I'm, just <laughs> I'm sorry. Some of y'all laughing. Some of y'all ain't laughing, but it's all good. Amen. So you owe somebody, let's say I owed Pastor Michael a thousand bucks. Had to borrow it, needed it, had to borrow it. So, and all of a sudden I'm in town and I owe, I've owed him for six months. And I just happened to be in town. I see him out. I see him, I'm like, oh crap, there's Pastor Michael owing a thousand dollars. Oh man, dude. I mean, you know, I'm, because of the fact that there's debt on my conscience, I'm probably not excited about fellowship with him. Even though I love him, even though I think he's a great guy. Because I feel guilty and unworthy to be in his presence. I feel guilty and unworthy to really fellowship with him. And so rather than enjoying him, I become very conscious of my shortcomings. And so I avoid him. Why? Because I have debt on my conscience. But let's say, let's say that my brother right here comes. And he likes me, and we're friends. He says, look, I know you old pastor, a thousand. I'm going to take care of that debt for you. So he comes to Pastor Michael, <laughs> and he says, here, here's a million dollars. Oh, wait, he only owes me a thousand. Yeah, but I want to give an overpayment. So that debt's not on his conscience at all. And fellowship between you and him will be tremendously restored. How I many know if he if I owe him a thousand and he pays a million? How I many know when I come to town, I'll be looking Pastor Michael up. You can take me out to lunch, brother. Like you just became a millionaire because of my debt, right? How I many know relationships going to be restored strong because there's no debt on my mind? Jesus paid off your sin debt, and if you owed a thousand, he played a, he paid a billion. Past, present, and future. Eternal. The blood doesn't come in installments or down payments. It's a completed work. 
So as you're here this morning, if you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you're completely forgiven. And you owe God, you don't owe God anything. He paid for it. Amen. It's good news, isn't it? It's a reality. And so the new covenant is endeavored to not disqualify and make you self-conscious. The new covenant is intended to cause you to fall in love with Jesus. As you're as the one who paid your debt, as the one who saved you, as the one that rescued you. See, your Christianity shouldn't make you more conscious of you. It should make you more conscious of Jesus. You know, I drove here from Kentucky, and I give all these analogies a lot, but I think it helps to get us all on the same page. I drove here from Kentucky, and how many know I didn't drive here staring at the ditch trying to stay out of the ditch? If I drove here for five hours staring at the ditch trying to stay out of the ditch... It, I'd have been in the ditch, for sure. Because that which I feared would have come upon me. But I didn't focus on the ditch. I just looked straight ahead, and it was easy. And I stayed out of the ditch as a result of looking straight ahead. See, don't try really hard not to sin. Don't focus on yourself. Just look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus and drive straight on, and you'll be accidentally holier than you ever were when you tried so hard to earn God's love. Amen. You'll be out of the, the ditch as an after effect. And so the purpose of the new covenant is to bring Jesus to center stage, all attention, all focus on him. We, as we behold him, we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. I mean, that's why we have communion. One of the reasons you get to lay your five physical senses upon the son of God. Just love it. And so, but primarily new covenant is supply. Y'all tracking me here. You're not disqualified, you're qualified. And he's come to save you. Right? Now let's turn to Romans chapter 5, please. And uh, it's just what God laid on my heart for you guys. Romans chapter 5. And I quoted this verse earlier, but I want to talk about it here for a little bit. Romans chapter 5 and in verse 17. It says... For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one Jesus Christ. Now, your focus in the new covenant is receiving. And it says abundance of grace, and that word, is, that word in the Greek is very interesting because it means a surplus and more added to it on top of that and then some more. Like it's a very unusual word. And, and what it means is, because here's the thing, there is this inexhaustible supply of overwhelming grace surrounding you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Because, how many know that God's grace is greater than our failure? How many know God's grace is greater than our sin? Like, this is an overwhelming grace. But the key element is receiving. For example, and I think this is the analogy that helps us understand this the most. How many know that in this room right now, there's an abundance of oxygen? Like, we're not sweating the supply of oxygen today. Thank God, right? Like, man, you're breathing too hard. You're taking up all the oxygen. What's wrong with you, brother? Slow it down. <laughs> I mean, we're not doing that. We don't have a time 
you know, that's probably crossed our minds once this morning. I wonder if there's enough oxygen in the church today. You know how Sister So-and-So, she pants and breathes in worship. What is wrong with her, man? She's sucking up all the oxygen. We all trying to have some oxygen. <laughs> I mean, you know, that, that didn't cross anybody's mind once today, right? Because you have lived in an abundance of oxygen your entire life. You've never known a scarcity of oxygen. I'm not talking about when you're underwater and stuff like that. But it's, it, it, in your mind, <clears throat> there's, no, there's no sense of lack. But how I many know that because of misguided preaching and a mixing of the covenants, their grace has been presented as something that's given out stingily. Hey, we're going to give you some grace when you first get saved. And after that, you're just going to have to try real hard and hope you make it. <laughs> we all begin in grace because there's no other way to begin. But many times we're taught out of grace. You know, how many you know if we if we all went outside and I said, look, we're gonna we're gonna do a race around the church, and the first person back in that does a lap and is back into the church and touches the pulpit wins wins that thousand dollars that I owe Pastor Mike. Amen. <laughs> he's confident that he's he's like, I got that man. I beat all these guys straight up. But I got one more I got one more condition. <clears throat> but you only get one breath. You get <gasps> go. How many know that one breath is not enough to carry you through the race? How many know that one breath of grace is not enough to carry you through your life? How many know you're going to need a regular, consistent breath of grace? In the morning, in the evening, how many know moment by moment, hour by hour, second by second, you need the grace of God? How I many know we all need a fresh I love you? Because that's what grace really conveys. It conveys, look, I love you. I paid for it, okay? Relax. I got you. You're in my hands. No one can pluck you out of my hands. Amen? And, and uh, we need that, don't we? You know, I've been married to my wife for um, 20 years. And how I many you know if I only told her that I loved her once, we might have problems. Got marriage night. I love you. Okay, great. Fifteen years later. How I many you know that if I only told her that I loved her once, there'd probably be some problems, right? Now, I can say, well, I meant it the first time I said it. I don't need to say it again. How <clears throat> I many you know that's dumb? Can I get an amen from the men? <laughs> uh-uh. Why? Because she lives in a world that tries to make her feel insecure. I mean, we live in a world that tries to make us feel insecure. And she needs a regular I love you from me. How many know my kids are the same way? Got a 14-year-old and 2-year-old. They need a regular I love you. That love needs to be confirmed all the time. Why? Because we live in a world that don't love us. Amen. And we have a God who loves us. But because... The messenger has not accurately given the message that the debt has been paid. Many of us have lived in doubt, like like hands around our throat, choking out the oxygen of grace, not knowing if we're actually worthy to receive it or not. Let me bring you over here to the to a, maybe another example. Let's say I owe that thousand. You pay it, but then you tell me about it. I don't talk to him. I talk to you. And he's like, man, I heard that your debt was paid. Really? 
yeah, I think, I think so. I think it was paid. I'm not really sure. It may have been paid. It may not have been paid. I'm not really sure. I think it was paid, though. But really, it, it's probably not paid. So I'm not sure because it may have been paid, but it's probably not paid. I mean, you know, that's how a lot of preaching goes on. Hey, you're forgiven and you're saved. Well, we're not sure. You're going to have to make sure you come to church. You're going to make sure you have to tithe. You're going to make sure you have to give. You're going to make fine proof. <laughs> Amen. And so, hey, you're forgiven and you're saved. God loves you. But maybe not. How I many know oh, that's confusion? That's a mixed message, and you cannot grow confident and strong in the love of God in that type of message. So if he gives me, as the messenger, that type of message, even though he overpaid my debt, I won't be confident, and fellowship won't be restored with Mike. Because I look at him and think, I think my debt's paid, I'm not sure. How I many know oh, we've had messengers from the pulpit that did not accurately convey that the cross was a success? Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus do a good job on the cross? Well, you know what that means? That means you're forgiven. And not only does it mean you're forgiven, it means you are qualified to receive every single promise in the book. How many know all the promises are yes and amen in Him? You're not coming based on you. That's so important. Man-made religion always tell you, well, what, what have you done? Have you witnessed to enough people? Have you done this? Have you done that? Have you done that? Look, if you're weighed in the balances, if I'm weighed in the balances, we will all be found wanting. But we are not the one that's being weighed in the balances. Our lamb is the one that's being judged. Was your lamb spotless? Was he without blemish? Did he live 33 and a half years and never sin? Did he die a horrible death for us, for the payment of sin, right? He did a great job. So what we need to do is we need to no longer focus on ourselves, but come boldly to the throne of grace to attain help in time of need, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Because all the promises are yes and amen in him, and God has given us Jesus, so now everything's freely given. Everybody say freely given. Freely given. And like, for example, when, when, when God instructed me to give those books away. Now, how many know that there was not one person in here that was, there was no qualifications to receive. It was given to you for free. Amen? And how many know it was paid by, because it, it was paid for by somebody else? There was a price that was paid, but then it was given for free, right? Now, how many know that is supply? But you had to trust me and believe that I was telling the truth when I invited you to come get one. You had to trust me and my integrity and my words in order to receive what had already been freely given. And ladies and gentlemen, that is why faith pleases God. God's not, look, God's not some taskmaster that's trying to get enough faith coins before you get blessed or healed or prospered. The reason faith pleases God is because the only way you're going to enjoy something is if you believe it. You tracking me? See, it changes things. Because we've been taught a, a, tra a transactional faith. 
Well, man, I'm just trying hard to believe God and please God. Jeez, I'm just trying to get healed. Jeez, Lord, let me try. Here's another faith coin. Here's another faith coin. And you know what it does? Is it presents this stingy, miserly, mean God. And it's not how, he's not like that. No, he's giving you everything for free. And I'll give you another example that helps you understand this, and I just give these analogies to make it easy. Let's say that now that Pastor Mike's a millionaire, he decides to take the whole church out to a buffet. Right? He's going to pay. Amen. Sounds good, right? Preach it. Preach it. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. I know you will. I know you will. And so we all go in, and he's at the end of the line, and he pays, and everybody's kind of sitting down at the buffet. Buffet's hot. It's ready to go. But then only half of the people get up to eat. And we go to the other half and say, oh, this half gets up to eat. We go to the other half and say, well, why aren't you, what's going on? Why are you not getting up? You know, I'm just not sure he really paid. No, no, he paid. I'm just, I don't know. I didn't see it. No, no, he paid. I, I, he paid. I don't know. I'm just not sure. I don't know if I can believe that. How many know that the buffet is for all? How many it was paid for all? But how many, how many know that only those that believe will eat? Amen? And so when, when, I, when these books were given, how many know you had to have the courage to come to the table and believe that it was for free? Every single promise in the new covenant is yours for free. Amen? You have to pay. Nothing in God's kingdom is for sale. That's really important because the middleman's been removed. I mean, the, the, the time we see the greatest anger aroused in Jesus was when people were trying to charge for relationship with God. Temple tables turned over, right? They turned it into a transaction. Jesus said, man, you guys are a bunch of... Turn my father's house into a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. It's supposed to be a relationship. Y'all tracking me here? The Lord doesn't want that. It's all for free. If someone's trying to charge a price for the anointing, run. Price been paid. You're not trying to get somebody else's anointing or get a healing and pay for a healing. That's rid- I'm sorry, folks. That's ridiculous. It's not in the book. The one time we see somebody try to buy the Holy Ghost, Paul rebukes the tar out of him, man, or Peter or somebody. Yeah, it was bad, wasn't it? He's like, because what we're basically saying is, how I many you know all the money in the world is not enough to buy a drop of the blood of Jesus? How insulting is it to think we can buy the blood with money? Well, any t- anytime we try to buy something from the kingdom, we're saying the blood wasn't enough. Are y'all tracking me? And we may not be using money. How I many you know we might be using our acts of obedience? See, that's more dangerous. Lord, anybody should be healed, it's me. I've taught Sunday school for 15 years. I've led worship. I, 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 I. And now, who's my focus? Me. I mean, I'm now frustrating grace. Because here's the thing about grace. Grace is for free. It's just like air. You can breathe in. You can enjoy it. But if you try to pay a price for it, you've just frustrated something that was unmerited. See, what we try to do is, unknowingly, we try to cut side covenants with God. Well, God, you bless me if I do this. God, you, and what we're trying to do is, I'm trying to 
make myself qualified to receive a blessing. I mean, if you go that route, you're not going to receive. And I'll give you a great example. Y'all ever see a drug addict, alcoholic, crazy person come in off the streets and immediately get healed? Everybody here's seen it. You know why? That's grace. This person does not think they've done anything to deserve. And so all they see is Jesus and His amazing grace, and faith rises up in them, and they receive. See, we've made faith too difficult. We've tried so hard to have faith, we've turned it into legalism, and we've voided faith. You know, the people who received healing in Jesus' time, how I many know oh, they weren't in 20,000 hours worth of Jesus' teaching meetings? They didn't go to Bible college. You know what I'm saying? They didn't have all this stuff. They just saw the Master and was like, I see a Savior. I see grace and truth. I see a hero. I see a rescuer. Save me. They saw grace. Faith arose and they received. And how I many know oh, they were all sinners? Do you know that not one righteous person was on the earth when Jesus walked the earth in his human form? Because how many know, how many know that the blood hadn't been spilled yet? How many know right standing with God comes as a result of believing in Jesus? So the leper that was healed? Sinner. Prostitute that was delivered? Sinner. Zacchaeus? Scandalous. Sinner. What did they do? Well, they received. Because sin does not frustrate grace. Such an offensive statement. If you got any religiosity in you, that shook you up a little bit. But it's sin is not greater than grace. Grace is greater than sin. Where sin happens, grace abounds. Amen. Now, Grace does not abound for the purpose of empowering you to continue in sin. That's really important because the Bible says that sin will not have dominion over you for you're not under the law, you're not under condemnation, you're under grace. Sin, re- excuse me, grace removes the headlock of sin off our, of our lives so that we're not dominated by things that are hurting us and hurting those around us. Can I get an amen? I'm not making light of sin, I'm making much of Jesus. Amen. And so... All these sinners that received healing and received blessing, grace was not stopped. But do you know who never got healed in the life and times of Jesus? One single Pharisee or Sadducee. Dang. (laughs) And they went to all the meetings. But they didn't go to receive, they went to judge. And now we see what stops us from receiving. Self-righteousness most evil thing on earth right standing apart from God right standing based on me and what I've done see and earlier I talked about focus on self in terms of condemnation but how many know legalism and the mixing of the covenants will cause you to focus on yourself and think that you're awesome how great I am how great I am how I many know oh, that's the song of, of man-made religion? You know, how great I am. How bad you are, you're not as good as me, but how great I am. Hey, man, I hate it. Like, and I always say this to you, but how I many you know that in, in man-made religion, this is the holiest row? These are the holy people. Close, close, boy. I mean, you know, because proximity to the pastor is in relation to holiness anyway. You know what I'm saying? Because the anointing. 
<clears throat> I know, I saw that, man. This is the less holy row. Less holy row. Less holy row. And then brothers back there to sound, but we didn't know if they saved or not, you know? I'm kidding. I look at all the all these grace people fired up at me. I'm holy. What are you talking about? But how many know in man-made religion we looked at it like that? I spent my whole life trying to get to the front row. I got to the front row, and you know what? There was no pot of gold. There was no leprechaun. There was no rainbow. There was just more pressure. <laughs> and I was farther away from God sitting on the front row than I was when I first got saved. Come off the streets. Because on the front row, I learned how to labor for something that was free. I learned how to be an elder brother and labor in the field and be so far from the Father's heart. God, I mean, you know, the word of the Father to the elder son is all I have is yours. You can have any time you want. But how I many know he didn't eat? He didn't party. He didn't have fun. He's too busy judging the worthiness of, his, of the prodigal son. <clears throat> how I many know the prodigal son enjoyed grace? Because he knew he was not standing in his own worth. He came in trying to earn it. And the father wouldn't have none of that. And just immediately starts showering him with unmerited blessing. Here comes the robe. Here comes the fatted calf. Here comes the ring. Here comes the shoes. And the elder brother's out here in the field. Man, well, you never, you know, you never sacrificed a goat for me and my friends. It wasn't a goat. What was it? What, was it a goat? Okay, cool. It was a skinny goat. Amen. So this is like a healthy goat. You know what I'm saying? Like a skinny latte or something. You know, they, they had <laughs> that skinny moo ice cream or whatever. I did a meeting in Lexington, Kentucky on Friday, and it was an awesome meeting. And I came home and I sat down on my couch and I ate an entire gallon of ice cream with a spoon by myself and growled at my family when they looked at me. <laughs> Jesus still loves me. <laughs> I did buy my son ice cream and my wife ice cream, but I ate all of that ice cream. I don't know why I'm telling you all that, but I just just wanted to say that. Amen. It's all good. Skinny cow, ice cream, blah, blah, blah. All right, let's, let's switch gears out of that. Anyway, the elder brother was like, you never did that for me. How many of you know, that, and the father said, all that I have is yours. So when you see a drug addict, alcoholic, crazy person come off the streets and receive what you've been believing God for, you might be laboring in the wrong field. And when you're there, and when you want to judge them because you don't think they're worthy, you don't understand what worth is. Listen, none of us are worthy. You never come to a place where you're worthy. There's no one in this room that's any more worthy to receive from God than anybody else. Now, Jesus makes us all worthy. I'm not saying we're not. I'm not saying we're down awful, you know, worms and all that. But I'm saying that. Any case you make for your own worth will always give you an elevated sense of who you are and will cause you to condemn and be holier than thou towards other people, and that is the absolute opposite of the nature of God. See, it's a complete opposite. When I was a, when I was a crazy atheist and anti-God, I did not want to be around Christians at all. I did not like y'all. And I was just... <laughs> And I'll joke around and be like, man, it was Christians that kept me an atheist for 19 years, you know? Because, you know, I mean, the Christians would come and be like, they'd knock on the door, you know, shh, 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 turn the lights down, turn the TV off. The Christians are here. Shh, get the Febreze out. Shh. (laughs) 
Because as a, as a dirty, rotten sinner, I didn't want to be around someone who acted like they were better than me. Anyone in here enjoy being around someone who acts like they're better than you? None of you do. You hate it, right? That was my experience, and so I want to stay away. However, if you look at Jesus, you ever notice how Jesus would come to town and the sinners would come to him in droves? They wanted to be around him. They'd rip a roof off a house just to be around Jesus. Because in Jesus, how I many of Jesus was not filled with self-righteousness and legalism? I mean, he was full of grace and truth. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus that, was a, that, that knew they needed a Savior. Now, how many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, they wanted to be around him, but so they could find a way to trick him and catch him and kill him. Because self-righteousness is the most anti-Christ thing on earth. It's the, it's the only thing that frustrates grace. It's pride. I mean, that, once again, how I many know God does not resist sinners? He doesn't. He only resists one group of people, the proud. What do you think he's going to try to develop in church? Pride. So that rather than being those that freely receive an abundance of grace, we get asphyxiated by pride. And we can't drink in the grace of God. Because self-righteousness has blocked the passageway of us receiving. And that's why he likes to mix the covenants to produce pride in people. I mean, we didn't come here today to talk about me and what I've done, good or bad. I mean, we didn't come here today to talk about you and what you've done, good or bad. I mean, we've come here to talk about Jesus. Because when Jesus is glorified, everybody's edified. When man is glorified, the cross is nullified. Way too much hero worship in the body of Christ. There is no minister on earth that's better than you. No praise and worship leader, no human being. No one has more of a right to God than you do. Now, we have gifts, we have callings, we have leaders, we serve, we help, we honor those things. But we should never, ever elevate an individual. And so, what we endeavor to do is to keep that self-righteousness out of us because we want to receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness so that we can reign in life through one Christ Jesus. Reigning in life looks... How many of y'all like to win? Dude, I love to win. I do. Now, if I don't win, I'm cool with it. You know, I wasn't always like that, but, I am, but, I've, but I've learned now. And uh, I like to win. Let's win. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we have this mentality in Christianity. Well, I'm a doormat for Jesus. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And no, 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 no. You're invited to be a partaker of the divine nature so that you can escape the corruption that's in this world, so that you can be an overcomer. How many know God wants you healthy? Can I get an amen? God wants you healthy. How many know God wants your bills paid? Oh, I need a stronger amen than that. Come on! How many know God wants your bills paid and He wants you to have more than enough so that you can pay somebody else's bills? How many know God wants to protect you and keep you safe so you don't have to be afraid of any virus? How many know He wants to protect you and your family and keep you safe? How many know God wants to give you awesome relationships? If anyone should have a great relationship, it's Christians. Why? Because the creator of relationships is our best friend. 
I mean, God wants to give you wisdom concerning relationships so you have the best marriage, so you'll have awesome children, so that you'll have, you'll have, you'll have blessing. I mean, God wants to renew your youth. Oh, come on. I need that. I have a two-year-old. Like, I, I, I quit trying to do the math. I'm 42, and I'm thinking, okay, I better not do the math. <laughs> and do you know what I've done? I, you know, one of the cool things that God's given you through Jesus is blessing Abraham. I love it. I love it. It's a, how many know it's a protection? How many know Abe took 318 servants and, and conquered five armies? How many know Abe was fruitful in his old age? How many know his youth was renewed? How many know that Abe was financially prosperous? Rich in silver, gold, cattle. Amazing. Blessed. This is what God has for you. Amen. Don't get offended at that. Let me ask you, if I'm a dad, don't I want to take care of my kids? If I'm a good dad, right? Do you think that God's probably a better dad than me? Do you think God wants to take care of his kids? Yes, he does. Now, I'm not preaching a concept to you where you're going to float through life like Mary Poppins and everything's going to be easy. If you've noticed, it's not quite like that. Even in the book. How many know Paul had great faith? How many know he went through hell? He had rough times. So there is an enemy. There is a fallen world. So you're going to have challenges. But these challenges don't come from God. But God will give you the victory and he will cause you to triumph. He will. It's yours. But you got to come take it. You tracking me here? Just like that book I gave you? You got to come get it. See... And what happens when you, when you really get a hold of grace in the new covenant, there's a boldness that comes on you. This is what I want. This is what I want in the church. The church needs a godly swagger. <laughs> Sounds like an oxymoron. It's not. How many know confidence, godly confidence, lifts up everybody in the room? How many know a, world, a worldly prideful confidence brings some people low and exalts other people? God wants you confident, which has great recompense and reward. He wants you confident that you're his child and all he has is yours. Okay, get an amen. I got a 14-year-old, and he is confident that my fries are his fries. He is confident that my Coke is his Coke. He, anything I got, it's his, right? And because he anything in the fridge, it's his. Anything in the house, it's his. So... He has a boldness that's not born of arrogance. It's knowing I belong. And if it's my dad's, it's mine. Y'all tracking me here? I mean, that's what sonship's all about. That's what daughtership's all about. You're in the family. Your father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God want to bless you with a vacation this summer. Can I get an amen? amen? Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? But it takes an element of audacity to have the courage to receive. But when you just remove yourself out of the picture, see, under the old covenant, you know, the old covenant was fine, but the weak link was us. It was based on us. It's not based on you anymore. See, God wants to bless you according to Jesus' obedience. God wants to give you everything that Jesus deserves. Unmerited, undeserved favor. I love this stuff, man. Because this, this offends our pride, but excites our spirits. You know? 
Because we have this thing inside of us where we want to earn it, we want to deserve it, we want to, you know, but it's not like that. It's for free. I mean, when the Father created, you know, one of the parables, He made this amazing wedding and this dinner and all this stuff and invited all these people, and all these people didn't come. He said, go out into the highways and the byways. Get them. Bring them in. And, and I feel like if we're not careful, there may be, God may raise up a revival of the church apart from the church. And the drug addicts and the alcoholics and the crazy people will rise up and go to the front of the line. You know what I'm saying? Because, and not because he doesn't love us, but because he's trying to get us, he's trying to set us free from self-righteousness. See, I mean, there's a difference between the 11th hour worker and the first hour worker. And it's just an attitude. See, I don't ever want, I've been laboring for 20 years, but I don't want to be the, the first hour worker. I won't be the 11th. How many of you know it's a mentality? The 11th hour worker came based on the goodness of the Father and not the goodness of their labor. 11th hour worker gets cut line. 11th hour worker gets paid first. 11th hour worker's operating on grace. First hour worker's operating in their own transactional account. You follow me? So I'm not saying that to frighten us. I'm saying that we can all come to the front of the line because how many know we're all firstborn? But we're going to have to lay down our self-righteousness in order to continually and freely receive an abundance of grace. Because it's going to take an abundance of grace for you to reign in life. How many know when you're reigning in life, the devil's not? When you're reigning in life, death is not. And so based on these two gifts, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life. Now, let's, let's, um, let's flip down to... Um, I want, I'm going to just point something out here real quick. In verse 20 of the same chapter, it says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin is reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life, perpetual life through Jesus Christ our Lord. <clears throat> so grace reigns through righteousness. Wait a minute. You ever seen a, a water hose? And, you know, someone watering flowers or something, you can go around the side of the house and just put a kink in the hose and it just stops the flow, right? Grace has an avenue in which it flows. And that avenue is the righteousness of God. Not the righteousness of man, which is filthy rags, not your works, not your obedience, nothing to do with you, everything to do with Jesus. How I many know when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, His righteousness was given to you as a gift? He that knew no sin became sin, that we could become the righteousness of God in Him. So the righteousness of Almighty God has been given to you and actually placed inside of you. You're a new creation in Christ. You have now been made holy with His holiness, which is why the Holy Spirit can dwell in you because you've been that cleansed. So this grace is going to reign through the avenue of righteousness. So how do I frustrate grace? Two, two ways, okay? This is how I get my hose kinked up, and the flow stops, and the asphyxiation happens, and there I am dying in my own ability. Let me tell you something. That addiction you're facing, you're not supposed to conquer it in your own strength. 
Anything we do in our own strength, we get the credit for. How I many know the purpose of the branch is, is not to bring forth fruit? The purpose of the branch is to stay connected to the vine. And the strength of the vine brings forth fruit. You follow me? How many of you love, joy, patience, meekness, kindness, goodness, all the fruit of the Spirit? It's not, it's not your willpower, and it's not your trying really hard. It's just you staying connected to the vine so the life of God can flow through you. All you've got to do is maintain the connection. How do you do that? By believing that the cross was enough, believing you're forgiven, believing you're the righteousness of God, and not entertaining the lie of condemnation. That's all you've got to do. Our part's actually pretty simple. God made it pretty easy for us, but it's so simple that we get offended at it, and we want to do something more complicated. You know, when they came to Naaman and said, you know, look, you just got to dip into Jordan seven times. He's like, I'm dipping to Jordan, that nasty, tiny little river? What are you talking about? I got, we got great rivers back at my place. Amen. I mean, you know, we can get lured and seduced into legalism by our own pride. Well, I've kept this Jewish feast, and I did this, and I fasted that, and I gave that, and I did this, and this is why I'm so anointed, because I'm amazing. For three easy payments of nineteen ninety nine, you could be just like me. And we get offended at the simplicity of the cross. Why? We just got to believe in Jesus? No, I need something deeper than that. Sweetheart, if you want to go into something deeper than Jesus, you can go, but it's not deep good stuff, it's deep bad stuff. Deep doo-doo. Amen. And so, the way I keep the hose unkinked and grace flowing and not being in my own strength and my own self-effort is I've got to get this place of righteousness. And this is where the gospel comes in. You ever be driving in your car and you lose your radio signal and you got to tune it back in like when you're traveling? There's a frequency that heaven operates on and it's called righteousness. Okay, it's the righteousness which is of faith. If I feel, if I'm, here I am a born again believer, I've received everything that God has to offer through Jesus Christ, if I believe that I'm not right with God and God's going to punish me for my sin because I've made a mistake and I believe God's against me and I start to feel condemned and I'm under condemnation, what's happened? I've been, I've, I've, I've I've tuned out of the frequency of heaven. I've tuned into the frequency of the accuser, the devil. How many of the devil is the accuser of the brethren? I've tuned into that frequency And now what I'm doing is I've taken the righteousness that was given to me as a gift and I'm pushing it aside and I'm actually pulling out my own filthy rags. Look what I've done, God. Look what I've done. And so if I'm laboring under that self-righteousness and filthy rag condemnation mentality, everything I do will be done in unbelief. Well, I'm just going to go to church so I can be right with God. I'm just going to witness to people so I can be right with God. I'm just going to give so I can be right with God. Ladies and gentlemen, that's dead works. That's unbelief. It does not honor God. And the more you do, the less you'll believe. And you may look great outwardly like you're some tower of of diligence, but in reality, you're actually dishonoring the work of the cross. Amen. Your actions don't make you right with God. Your actions don't keep you right with God. Your actions are supposed to be an outflow of the love that you've received. 
I come to church because I'm thankful and I love God and I want to dwell together with the brethren and I want to receive. I give because I want to support what the ministry is doing, not because there's a price tag, but because it takes money to run things and I want to be a blessing. I pray because I'm invited into relationship and there's authority in my prayer. I witness to people because I'm so thankful that I've been forgiven and I want to let this love flow. See, it's the difference between laboring as a slave that's trying to earn love and laboring as a son that knows they're loved. Total difference. How many of you burn out under that? It's awful. You develop a thick mask and you're so scared and you're still trying to convince everybody how awesomely Christian you are and fellowship is just a awful. You come to church, you know, once a week because you can only handle an hour and a half of trying to pretend like you're amazing. <laughs> Got to go sit on the couch in your sweatpants and eat a gallon of ice cream just to recover because <laughs> it was so much work. I mean, you know, God wants to take that mask off, take that, 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 um, that awful pressure off of you and bring you over into being loved. How do you do that? Well, you believe that you're forgiven. You believe the cross is enough. And you don't operate out of a sense of self-righteousness. See, you have a right to receive 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Do you know you have a right to receive when you failed? See, this is where you need to get good. You need to get good at this. This is where I invite you to become skilled in righteousness in the new covenant. When you mess up, there's blessing. Because grace abounds where sin abounded. Grace does much more abound. Now, if someone would just take a snapshot of that and say that's what I preach and not give you all the stuff I said before that, you know what they would say? He's saying, let us do evil that good may come. How many of you I'm not saying that? But how many of you they made that accusation against Paul? Because he preached the grace and goodness of God so strong... To, to those looking in that didn't understand, they could think, man, this guy's saying we just do whatever we want. we got a license to sin, and the blessings are going to flow. I mean, no, that's not what I'm saying, and that's not what Paul said. Here's the reality. If you do dumb stuff, you get dumb results. <laughs> I mean, no, it has nothing to do with God. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I go home, if I go home, and I go see my wife, and I come in the house, and I start yelling at my wife and kicking stuff around the house and all that stuff, how I many know Jesus loves me? I mean, I might be going to see him a little sooner. <laughs> how many know I'm forgiven? But how many know I'm about to, to have the repercussion of my own stupidity? Hallelujah. How many know if I drive home to, to Kentucky today, and I'm gonna, I've decided I'm going to go 140 miles an hour on the highway, because I'm the righteousness of God, and I'm under grace. <laughs> Cop pulled me over. What's up? Sir, I'm, I'm a son of God. Oh, really? <laughs> Come here. We, we want to talk to you for a little while. <laughs> How many know that my righteous, forgiven, love self will get a ticket? Because preaching the gospel doesn't mean there's an absence of consequences for your conduct. How many know sin kills? But that punishment doesn't come from God. It comes from the results of my actions. Now, the beauty of God is, how I many you know God will rescue you out of your own actions? I've seen him do it a, a time and time again. Amen. You mess it up, God will fix it. You'll come out smelling like a rose, and you just have a, you're just so thankful and so grateful. But you're, when you fail, God's not pulling his blessing back. In fact, it's when you fall that you need a helping hand up, right? You want to know how to fall in love with Jesus? Fail and watch His faithfulness. So you know when love has the greatest impact in your life? When you don't deserve it. 
See, deserved love is like a paycheck. Well, God, of course you love me. I'm amazing. I mean, I'm holy and righteous. And I do this. And I, how many know when you have that attitude, you're actually not enjoying love? And this is why Jesus had such strong words for the Pharisees and Sadducees. You know why? Because they weren't experiencing love. And they needed to be set free. Are you tracking me here? How many know Jesus loved the Pharisees and Sadducees? Can I get an amen? He loved them. But they weren't going to get free until their pride was was addressed and removed. Self-righteousness is like a splinter that's difficult to get out. And you, you know what the diploma of legalism is? Failure. That's how you graduate. You're like, I am done going around this mountain. Moses cannot bring me in. Where is Joshua? <laughs> Where is Jesus? You follow me? Your own willpower, your own self-strength is not going to accomplish that. Only Jesus. And so, I'm closing. This righteousness. Who is your righteousness? Jesus is. How I many know your righteousness is not an action? Your righteousness is a person. How many know Jesus already conquered sin, held death in the grave, and did a great job? And so how many think that sin can't touch Jesus? Your righteousness can't be marred because it's eternal. How many know in, in Daniel it prophesies of an everlasting righteousness? So this righteousness that's been given to you as a gift, the one thing, the, the obedience of the new covenant is an obedience of faith, an obedience of believing properly. How many know when you believe correctly, you'll act correctly? God's not after all of your behavior. He's after your heart. If He can get your heart, your, your behavior will be taken care of. And so your part is to the good fight of faith. The, the faith is this. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He died for my sins. He was raised again for my justification. I've received Him as Lord and Savior. I am now one with Him, and I am now the righteousness of God. I'm no longer under the law. I'm under grace. Sin can't touch me. Sin will no longer be imputed to me. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm in the house. Where are my father's fries? That's what he wants. He wants that boldness. You know, if my son came up to me and was like, you know what, I'm dad, I'm just not worthy of you. I'm not worthy of your love. I'm not worthy to live in this house. I'm just, I'm not worthy of, your, of, of you giving me clothes. I'm not worthy. I mean, you know, as a father, that doesn't please me. Because he doesn't know who he is, and he doesn't know who I am. God wants to wash the unworthiness off of the church. Come to the table. Receive what's yours. God wants to give you an abundance of grace so that you have so much grace that you can give it to other people that don't deserve it. How many know it's easy to give something away when you didn't earn it? It's hard to give stuff away when you earn it. But when you understand that everything that comes from God was given you for free and you didn't earn it, Jesus earned it, how many know it starts to get easier to forgive people? Easier to bless those that persecute you and despitefully use you? You become a channel of the grace of God. Amen. So... They which receive an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. That grace reigns through righteousness, that gift of righteousness. We don't want to trust in ourselves. We want to trust in Jesus as our righteousness, and we want to allow that grace to flow. Because your... Anybody in here have needs? Okay. Yep. Let me tell you something. Your needs are not greater than His supply. You will never have a need that's greater than His supply. Just like 
You're never going to come to a place in your life when there's not enough oxygen in the room for you. And here's the thing. Grace is more plentiful and abundant than even oxygen. So, all the days of your life, you're surrounded by too much grace. God, how many know God's extravagant? If you watch Him, He's extravagant. You know, like, if you look at the universe, did He really have to make it this big? Like, for real. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, God, just take a little corner of creation. We only need eight planets. We just need one star. God said, nah, I'm going to show you. I'm a creator. I'm extravagant. Woo! More than you can see. More, wait, more stars and planets and supernovas and black. We look out and we're just like, whoa, this thing is so big. All of our telescopes, God's abundant. He's super abundant. Okay? Do you think that his creation is going to be more abundant than his redemption? What are you talking about, Jeremiah? How many of you know as big as the universe is, God's grace is bigger than the whole universe? Amen. When God did the miracle with the kid and the fish and the loaves, how many of you know he made sure there's more than enough? He's not just going to meet the need. He wants to superabound. How many of you know when he turned the water into wine, how many of you know he made sure there was more than enough? We always amen lighter on that because, you know, we're just not too sure about that. <laughs> It was Concord grape juice. Come on, people. Did you study the Greek? <laughs> Forgive me. <laughs> but he's, a, he's an abundant, extravagant God. Amen? And so what I want to encourage you is as you walk into your week, you're surrounded by love. You're surrounded by grace. Breathe in. Keep your eyes on Jesus. There's a saving grace. There's an empowering grace. But here's the thing that you've got to do. You've got to maintain your confession that you're the righteousness of God, inwardly and outwardly. It's a righteousness of faith. It's a righteousness that speaks. You've got to say it. Not in order to make it happen, but so that you realize that's what it is. How many know when God... I'm, I'm trying to shut up. How many know that when God blessed Abraham, he changed his name so that he would begin to identify with his new identity? Yes. Yes. And God needs you to speak about yourself as though you're a child of God, as though you're forgiven, as though you're the righteousness of God. Because we've got to keep our righteousness tuned in to Jesus and not the filthy rags of our mistakes or the filthy rags of our accomplishments. Don't get caught up in your accomplishments. Don't get caught up in your mistakes. Just stay caught up in Jesus. Breathe in grace and then reign in life. God wants days of heaven on earth for you. It's, my, it's what I want. It's my goal. I want to see heaven invade earth. through. We're the doors that heaven walks through. Lift up your everlasting gates. Lift up your everlasting doors. The king of glory wants to walk through you into your marriage, into your children, into your family, into your workspace, into your business, into your whatever you set your hand to. God has days of heaven on earth for you. But the atmosphere of heaven is grace. So you've got to breathe it in. Release it. Walk in forgiveness. Walk in that righteousness. Hey, let's win. Y'all want to win? I want to win. 
I want to win. I want to win with my kids. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm not talking about all the... I'm just talking about like, there's a blessing. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it, it really at the root of what the word blessing means, it means to be happy. Y'all want to be happy? Let's be happy. Jesus will make us happy. We just got to receive that love and that grace. I mean, you know, there is no joy of cola. There's no joy of Pepsi. I mean, you know, material things cannot give you joy. It's only Jesus Christ can. Amen? This is what God has for your life. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Understand you're the righteousness of God. Drink in this grace and have an awesome life. You're going to have challenges. I know you're going to have challenges, but He's going to rescue you. He's going to help you through it because He loves you. Amen? Awesome. Thank you for your time. I pray for people.